Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Women in Motion. Brought to you by WBEC West. Join forces, succeed together. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here with Dr. Pamela Williams in another episode of Women in Motion brought to you by Webeck West. So excited to be talking to the folks we have on today. Uh, This month's theme is uh, Women in Construction, and this episode is going to focus in on Milestones to Millions. Uh, You got quite a group today, Pamela. I do, Lee. It's great to be with you again. And uh, yeah, today we are focusing on women in constructions and milestones to million. Both of those topics are quandaries, right? Because in the United States today, we have, uh, if you round up, about 800,000 construction companies. And out of those 800,000, only 3% are actually operated and owned by by women-owned businesses or women-owned entrepreneurs. And so, and then when you look at milestones to millions, what's even a crazier thought is only 3% of the women-owned businesses in America today make over a million dollars in revenue. So I'm excited to have the two women here today that we are speaking with. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, Jenny Tanner from Tanner Glass. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you started your business? Hi, Pamela. Thank you for having me. Um, it started out to be a family business. My father, my husband, my brother, and myself uh, started our company in 2000. I had no idea that I would learn to love selling doorknobs and shower doors, but it definitely became something that be- I just I, I fell in love with and the sales aspect of it and just learning about construction. Um, I own the company by myself today, and I have 65 employees, and I I really love what I do still, even at my old age. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. Uh, Barbara Myrick from uh, B&M Construction, uh, located in Colorado, correct? Correct. In the beautiful and, uh, front range of Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about how you started your company. I've heard your journey before, which I love. So I'm excited to hear you share it. Well, actually, um, I, you know, if it was my family's choice, I wouldn't be doing construction. My father um, had six sons. It was 13 of us. And um, I was the daughter that stepped up. The six brothers couldn't figure it out. So he did horizontal construction. And I wind up starting... Um, home renovations in 94. So I tell everyone before there was a Chip and Joanna Gaines, there was a Barbara and Jay, and we did um, flat work and foundations. And then in 2000, I um, ventured into the government sector um, where I found my niche. Um, and I just love it. And, you know, Jenny, I wouldn't say we have old age. I would just say we're just very, uh, we have a lot of wisdom. How about that? I wouldn't put age with it. And so um, <laughs> love what I do. Love what I do. Me so, too. Now, Barbara, was yours a family business as well? No, actually, my father worked for the same um, contractor um, until the day he died. So you talk about loyalty. He started with um, asphalt and um, horizontal construction at 23 and 
and kept going until he was 72. Um, so it wasn't a family business. He wanted the family to do a business, but yeah, it didn't happen the way he wanted. It was a daughter that stepped up and did it. So and then in your in your firm, is it uh, is your family involved or is it you? It's just me with um, employees. Um, we have um, I work in three different currently work in three different states: Colorado, St. Louis, Missouri, and Tampa, Florida. Now, Jenny, uh, coming from a family business, was that something that was expected? The the kids were supposed to be part of that, and then you just just kind of followed along, or or was that something you were like, okay, I really enjoy this. I'm going to pursue this. Absolutely not. I I am someone that has had a hundred jobs in my lifetime. I've been fired from jobs. I've quit jobs. I've started things on my own. And I had no idea that I would do this. I was a flight attendant and I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. And I just got tired of opening cans of Coke and thought that after 10 years, if I hadn't met my future husband by then, he wasn't in Atlanta. So I decided to move back to Utah. And my father owned a company that did similar to what we do now. And he had a partner. And they didn't really like each other very well. And my brother worked for him at the time. So my dad said, hey, if you want to move back from Atlanta, I've got a job for you as a sales rep, peddling doorknobs and mirrors and shower doors in the Park City area. And so I thought, well, what the heck, I'll I'll give it a try. So I moved back. Um, I met my husband who worked for my father the first day I got back. So I definitely felt like that was meant to be. And working with my dad and my brother and my husband didn't become my husband for about two or three years after, but working with my family is it was extremely challenging getting to know them again after living away and and loving them, but not really knowing them anymore as a grown up. And just learning the business inside and out. My dad was such a great mentor for me. And I really appreciated all the time he spent teaching me about the business and helping me understand, you know, how to be profitable in this kind of business because you won't, you aren't always profitable in construction. And then now are your children involved or does that, that kind of end with you? You know, so when I moved back from Atlanta, I was 32. And again, you know, having jobs all over the place, I didn't know I would be working in a family business. And so I have to remind my father that while his two granddaughters don't want to have anything at all to do with the business, they're only 24 and 19. And who knows what the future holds. My one daughter just graduated from the University of Utah with a degree in environmental and sustainability studies. And then my other daughter is a barista at Beans and Brew at the airport and loves her job. And right now, neither one of them want anything to do with what I do every day. So on that, my children actually did work for me. Um, actually, my husband used to work for me. Um, and it was, for us, it was a struggle because I am very direct. Um, and they couldn't separate work from home. And so it was best that none of them worked for me. And so 
Um, my husband and I started a business together, and then um, I seen beyond what we could be. So most small businesses, you know, live in the small business mindset, and I live in the large business mindset. How do I get there? And my family just wanted to be the mom and pop, right? And that didn't fill me. It didn't satisfy me. And so my husband left the company and then he 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 does his thing now. He plays in dirt all day. So he excavates and that's what he does and he loves it. And my daughters, they they came to work for me and it, it was hard for them to work for mom because at the end of the day, you do have to separate family from business during those hours. And and they really had a hard time. And both of them are graduates from DU. And, and now, now I'm proud of them. They're doing their own thing. I had to tell them to go find what makes them happy because working for me didn't bring them fulfillment. I wanted them to fulfill their dreams and wishes. And I think sometimes um, family-owned businesses, the expectation is that kids take over the business. But is that their dream? Is that their passion? Is that, are they going to give their 150% like we did to build a business? And so I had to come to grips with that myself as a mom, that this was my dream. This was my passion. And so I wanted them to go and spread their wings. So they're doing well now. They, um, and my son, he went on into the Navy as a nuclear engineer tech, and they all just had to go do their own thing. But I see it now. That was the best thing that for me was to let them go and be the eagles and soar that they could be because it wasn't with me and the company. Now, you brought up an interesting point, and I think it kind of dovetails nicely with what Pamela said at the start, that very few women, uh, first of all, get into construction and then second of all, achieve that kind of uh, million dollar mark. Um any advice that you can share for that aspiring woman entrepreneur to dream big and to really kind of go for it rather than settle maybe for a smaller entity when, you know, there's, there might be a path to a larger entity? Well, I don't think everybody wants to have a large business. It's hard to have that many employees and to offer the benefits and to be a legitimate re big business as to as opposed to a mom and pop shop where you can fly off the seat of your pants anytime you want. It has to be structured in a way that you understand your financials and understand the prof the profitability of your company. And then that isn't for everyone. So any advice I would give someone uh, another woman that has a construction company or wants to start a construction company or any company for that matter, you need to know what you want uh, at, at the end of the day. And in 20 years from now, where do you, where do you see your company? And that's where you start is if you don't want the headache of all of those employees and, and the 401ks and the insurance and the vacation and HR and accountants and lawyers, then it, maybe you better hone it in and, and bring it back to begin with if, if that doesn't suit you right now today, if that's not where you see your company going. You know, I totally agree with that. At one point I had um, 90 employees and it was just 
um, you're right. You had the 401k, you had the health benefits you had to provide, you had the taxes that was employee taxes that um, was just crazy, right? Um, and then you had the stress of getting out there and you had to bring in income, right? So most people think, well, I have these contracts that last forever. No, you constantly have to look for work and, and submit proposals and things of that nature. So I totally agree with you. You get it. Uh, think about it because going from a small business to a mid-sized business to a large business are all different phases. And so find your niche within um, that area of expertise that you, you love. And, and if it's, you want to be a five million dollar business a year and and have um, great profits. That's great. Ten million. That's great. But we have to keep in mind: the bigger we get, your profit margins actually they don't increase; they go down. And and so um, give all of that some thought. I mean, being great is good, but there's heavy roles and responsibilities that come with being large and great and all of those things. So great point. I would, I would take that and, you know, put that in my. Now, were there any, were there any challenges, uh, as you were kind of going, uh, evolving in your business where you were like almost stopped, but you kind of powered through where you got help and were able to kind of, uh, overcome them? One of my, my challenge was, um, I think, um, well, I know it was access to capital. I think, um, most small businesses struggle with access to capital. And so getting um, the head around the, your financials and your profits um, and understanding not to take everything out of the company that you make, because you do need to grow, um, was some lessons that I learned that helped me move to where I'm at now. So learning those basic fundamentals of financials and um, you know, Jenny said, making sure you have an attorney, even as a small business, you need to have an attorney. You need to have a good accountant. You need to have a good bonding company. And I think sometimes we we don't look at all the parts and pieces that come with doing it. It's after we get in it that we have to realize that we have to, to do those things. But access to capital was a um, a challenge for me, for my growth. But once I got my head around it, I'm okay. I understand it. Yeah, I actually have somewhat of a sad story. My, uh, as we were going into the recession, and we're we're in both commercial and residential construction. And during the recession, my brother, who I think for all intents and purposes, my dad thought that Jeff and I would be partners. We would buy him out. He and my mom would go live on a boat in the Caribbean one day. He had this, you know, great vision for himself. But my brother ended up getting sick and passing away in 2011. And we were sick in the recession at that time. We could start seeing ourselves coming out of it a little bit. But me having to lay people off and deal with the death of my brother and my father saying, I don't want to have anything to do with this business anymore. It's too painful. 
for me now that he's gone and my hopes and dreams are now gone because my goal was for the two of you to go out and make your dreams come true with this business. So getting through the recession, having my dad leave, having my brother pass and being by myself, you know, we all had our different roles and then being by myself and having to pick up every single one of those roles was really difficult for me. And like Barbara, um, my husband didn't, I, I guess he was married to the boss. And so there was always the, you know, I kind of get to do what I want. And we had to make an agreement that he would leave the company too. So going through that by myself and then having to prove that I was going to make this business get back onto its feet and having people from a distance, having customers, having manufacturers watch from 30,000 feet to see if I'd be able to to bring it back was was really challenging. I think when you're going through it, you don't realize until you've come out of it how painful it actually was. And you can look back in the rearview mirror and so during it, I just, I just did it. I got up every day. I went to work. I, I solved problems. I'm a problem solver. I can make a decision in a, in a second. I don't have to contemplate anything. I know what's right and wrong for my business. And I go, but going through that was probably the hardest thing I think I've ever gone through in our business. So, you know, you bring something. Thank you for having me reflect. So in 2017, I wanted it with breast cancer. And so I had to leave the company for health reasons. I had to step back afar um, to, you know, heal. And when I came back, everything was upside down. Mm. And I was just a, just a total, like, mess. And so someone came in, actually when my daughter came in and said, um, she didn't say we had a problem. She said you had a problem. So everything that they didn't do while I was out for nine months, came back to me when I came back. And you're right. I put my head down. Most people would have filed bankruptcy and closed their doors. I put my head down. I reached out to my creditors and all my clients. And I just worked through it. And so um, I I hired a um, a new accountant in 20, last year, in 2023, the beginning of 2023. And she was just speechless. When she went back and looked at the history, she said, oh, my goodness, most people would have given up. But you didn't give up. And she said, you are just, how did you do it? And I said, I love what I do. I reached out and communicated with my vendors and my clients, and I just worked through it. And I said, I'm in a better place today than I was in 2017. And in 2017, I had crazy revenues, but I'm in a better place today from a mindset of processes and procedures and accountability and all of those things that we overlook sometimes. I'm in a better place, in a better mindset. I know what I want to do, how I want to do it, and what clients I want. So I... I I commend you because, you know, dealing with bereavement and going through all of those things is a hard process. And we do feel alone. I was alone. I felt alone. Yeah. I don't think you know how to, how bad things are 
until you go through something and come out of it and see, oh my gosh, I didn't know how to run my books. I didn't know what how to manage profit. I didn't until you've gone through it and you can look back. And I, and so everything we go through is absolutely a, a learning process and absolutely growth. I think trials and tribulations help us grow. Yeah. Because it's the things that we need to pay attention to that sometimes we're not paying attention to because we think we have all these people in these positions that um, look at things that we do and hold on to the vision and the mission, right? But in actuality, some of them don't. And so I, I think it just makes us stronger and better. I know I'm stronger and better. Agreed. Now, um, when you're going through something both that you, like you each went through, how do you kind of find that true north or does that never change? Is it, is that what helps keep you going that you have something in your head that you're kind of working towards and you know that I just have to, you know, just put one foot in front of the other and just kind of grind here and it'll be okay if I do that. Uh, like I have control of that. Like, was there something that was telling you that, hey, I'm I'm on the right path. I'm going to be able to get through this. I think for me, um, following my gut, which is such a cliche, but it really is true, at least for me, that I have to listen to my instincts and know what feels good. And if it's too hard, then maybe it's not worth it. But I mean, it, and it, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't fight for the things that are difficult. It just means that if if you just keep getting tripped up over things that don't make sense, then maybe it just isn't the right thing. So for me, I and and maybe it comes with older age. Maybe it was always there, but I was just too immature to follow my instincts and listen to what my head was telling me. But for for sure. My just listening to my gut is the way I uh, I make a lot of my decisions. And and to be honest, they haven't proved me wrong yet. So mine would be um I find my strength in my faith during those times um where I have to go back and uh, reflect on what I should have been doing and maybe I chose to try a different path and I always come back to where I'm supposed to be. So it was my faith that really took me through a lot of um, things. Even when my, my children decided that they didn't want to be here and, and I had to reflect on that and my husband and then uh, going through cancer, it was a lot of those things. And then I have some really, um, I call them powerful women in my life that really was there to speak to me and encourage me uh, and to tell me that I wasn't crazy and with some of the crazy ideas that people would say is crazy. They would say, gosh, that that's amazing. When are you going to get that going? And so just having that strong um, network of women um, even Pamela at times, she would call me and check on me um, to help me get through those hard times because they're, as women, we seem to hold things in more and try to figure it out ourselves. But I've learned over the years that I just share 
and and have everyone else come in and help me. So it was my faith and some strong women that I have in my life. So um, Barbara, I think that that's significant. And I think that as people start looking at either starting a construction business or expanding their current business, having a, a tribe is important. And so I don't know if you either of you want to talk about any of the organizations that you belong to that have helped you as you've been growing your business. So we back West is amazing. And we back, we back um, in totality is amazing for women. Um, I have been, I've done um, several committees with the state. I was been, I've been on the minority business office with the state of Colorado. Um, I've, been the board chair for the Southern Colorado Women's Chamber. I've been involved in uh, various organizations. Um, now I'm part of a mastermind um, group of um, African-American entrepreneurs. It's, it's five of us. And we get together once a week and we hold each other accountable. Then I have a little um, tribe here in Colorado Springs, um, a banker, I call a banker, uh, butcher banker and a candlestick maker, but it's a banker and uh, it's someone that does HR. Um, and we get together just to talk about business and to encourage each other. And um, one of the uh, new businesses, the HR business, she just started her business last year and um, we have conversations. So I have surrounded, it's important. It's important for us to be a part of community and organizations but it's important for us to have those uh, network groups and those women that we lift each other up and help each other out and encourage each other and speak the truth. When somebody's like off their off the rail, bring them back in and say, I just think that's a little bit far out. You know, you need to come back. And and I think holding each other accountable. Is important. We need to hold each other accountable. Men hold each other accountable. And I don't know why we find it. We have a hard time doing that as women. Jenny, any groups for you that are important? Yes. So I was in the Goldman Sachs 10,000 Small Business Program back in 2012. And I, too, have a couple of different tribes I have, we, we call ourselves the power egos and there's a lady that owns a vanilla company. She imports vanilla from Mexico, a, a garage door owned company and an IT company. And we were all in Goldman Sachs together. And we do, we also, we go to lunch once a quarter, once a month, once a quarter, um, just to be able to share business advice and and become friends and things that are going on in our lives. I'm also a mentor for uh, up at the University of Utah. It's called Women Who Succeed. And in this group of what other women who are mentors, these are some extremely accomplished women. And I get very intimidated by a lot of their accomplish accomplishments. But we mentee three um, either college age or high school young women um, there's a program that we go through with them every month. We have events. We have community service projects that we do. And it's it's really nice to be able to help a young woman that wants to be an architect or maybe she wants to be a doctor. Whatever, whatever these women want to do, 
we're there for an entire year to assist them. I also um, was part of a program. I, I still am. It's called Professional Women in Building and the acronym PWB. It is the national organization from, it's a charter of the NAHB, National Association of Home Builders. And we built the first house in the nation built by all women. Uh, it was in 2020 and 2021. We sold the home. We made $470,000 in profits. And we're giving that money back in scholarships to young women to help them get into the construction industry. Since there are only 3% of women that work, at least in the state of Utah. And so wanting women to get into the trades, teaching them how to run a business for themselves, not only working in construction, but then taking it a step further and teaching them how to manage a business as well. And this, we have a children's book that's been written out about our story. We have a Girl Scout patch and it's called The House That She Built. And I, the experience, the, the two-year experience that I went through with these women completely changed my life. And we are a tribe. We have each other's backs. We hold each other accountable. I sit on other boards as well. I'm I'm um, directly involved with a lot of the homeless community issues that we have in the state of Utah. But as far, but PWB and the mentorship that I have through the Women Who Succeed program and then my power egos, all of those women have my back and they hold me accountable. Like Barbara said, we we just, we have each other and we share and we cry and we've all been through trauma together and we get together and we laugh and we cry and we drink and we have a lot of fun together as well. So, and it, there aren't that many, I think women have a tendency to be more competitive. Um, a lot of the, a lot of the panels that I sit on, I'm always hearing the same thing that a woman would never apply for a job unless she could check all of the boxes. A man applies for a job without checking any of the boxes and says, hey, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. Who cares? Where women feel the need that they have to be perfect and they have to check all those boxes. And I don't think there are a lot of women that own really successful businesses, let alone in construction, who have someone that is going through the same pains that they go through, talking about employees and do I keep this guy and, you know, do I do I go from an IRA to a 401k and just a lot of the really intense conversations. There are just not uh, not a lot of women out there that ha are able to share in the experiences that we're going through. Mm -hmm. Now, is it, um, is the construction industry your father's and grandfather's construction industry or is it slowly changing? Mm. Mm. Very slow change. It's a very, very, very slow. There's, there's some progress being made. When we were building the house that she built, we had a lot of naysayers and men assuming that we weren't going to be able to finish the home. Um, the The company that we bought the land from had clauses in our contract in about 20 different places that if we have to take the house back and finish it for you, and we just didn't get 
a lot of confidence from people that we'd be able to finish it. And I do think that things are changing. Um, there's, I think social media has been a huge asset to women working in construction because there are so many women the you know the tiny plumber girl and uh who came out and helped us and the drywall chicks out of montana and there are so many women now on social media in the trades that it's it's definitely starting to snowball and women are wanting and knowing that these things that they love doing whether it's woodworking whether it's welding can actually become a career instead of a hobby so i think it is starting to gain momentum but at a snail's pace, unfortunately. Are you, are you, I think, oh, go ahead, Barbara. I think, um, it is a slow pace. Um, but I think what holds a lot of women back is getting access to, to things that they need to be successful. Um, that the business isn't passed on that they have to figure out how to buy equipment, figure out, uh, uh, equipment and trucks and all of those things, the finances and how am I going to finance this and all of that. It, it's so much that the challenges that come with women getting as an entrant into this here um, in the construction industry, it can be quite challenging. And I think that contributes to the slow pace of women entering into the construction industry because there are so many unknowns and it's a huge obligation and finance commitment that you have to do in some areas. Well, and the perception is it's laborious. And so you're out in the field getting dirty and you're freezing or you're sweating. And, and a lot of women think that's, that's not for me, but it it doesn't have to be like that. Mm -hmm. I totally agree. I still wear my stilettos. (laughs) <laughs> now is technology helping in that way to make it not as physically demanding as maybe it has been in the past absolutely mm-hmm. so you're finding a younger women and girls op- like at least considering this as a career path maybe more than they would um you know in previous generations so what i do i go to the high schools um And because most people have the perception, so 80% of um, construction jobs are by white males in the industry, 80%. Um, So I go into the high schools of underprivileged, I go to the underprivileged schools here in Colorado Springs, and I've created a list of just about every position outside of vendor sales that's in the construction industry, the trades and how you can start out as an apprentice. And it has changed some young ladies' mind, even um, young ladies that wanted to be architects, right? Okay, I can get into electrical engineering. I can get into mechanical engineering. Um, and it's changing their minds on honing in on a specific area in college that they want, even if they want to go to school for construction management or just starting out as an apprentice. And what I've done is showed them the dollar value that comes with it. And if you start as a laborer and what you can, you can wind up being the president of a company of that same company um, if you stay and stick with it. So I have brought um, that added value within the community to change the mindsets of little girls 
that do like to use a hammer and a screwdriver, that does love front loaders and skid loaders and want to be a heavy equipment operator, but all they do, all they see is men doing it. So getting their mindset changing on how do I venture out into that trade or into that industry. It's not a conversation that parents sit down and have with their daughters at the dinner table. And that's one of the things we're trying in the PWB that we're trying to change is just bringing awareness that women belong in construction. If they want to do this, they are completely capable of doing it. And high school guidance counselors need to be taught to have those conversations. And it actually really does start in second and third grade. And we go in and we read the book that uh, the house that she built. And we talk to little kids about how, you know, their moms or their sisters, or they can work in construction if they want to. And they just are jaw dropped thinking, yeah, but my dad is the one that does that. My, not my mom, my mom stays home with me. And so changing that perception at a really early age is important if we're going to get more women into construction and let them know that you don't have to put a 50-pound bag or a 100-pound bag of concrete on your back and walk it up to a house and put it in a wheelbarrow and mix it. That's not the way things work anymore. So the education about how about the new technology and how things work now and just advising them and, and welcoming, welcoming them in and letting them know that it's here if you want it. And you can make good money doing it. And that they don't have to lose their femininity, right? No. You can still no. wear your stilettos and your dresses and you can still have your nails done and your hair done. And you can still be who you are and still be successful in this industry. So we don't have to give up our identity to be in a male-dominant industry. We can still be who we are. That's great advice. Now, is there anything you would tell um, maybe that aspiring uh, woman entrepreneur that's considering the construction industry. Is there some kind of do's and don'ts? Is there a way to kind of get your foot in the door somewhere so that you can kind of uh, get an idea of what it entails and see if it's the right fit for you? Job shadow for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, reach out to whatever interests you, whether it's, a trade being an engineer, uh, working in HVAC, a, a plumber, or selling doorknobs, or if you really want the hands-on experience of being a framer or and, and doing the woodwork, figuring out what you enjoy doing and job shadowing as much as you can. There are so many people that would welcome that and just drive around with you, do whatever. But then I do... Now that now that I've been doing this for over 30 years, I do think having a good business sense, it, it helps you get off on the right foot. And so understanding what a balance sheet looks like and a profit and loss looks like and, and understanding what the differences between them and what they actually mean is is important so that you know you're going in the right direction and job costing and it's it, it, you have to do what you love but you're only going to do what you love as long as you're making money at it so it's important that you learn the business aspect of it too and or at least you're hiring the right people that can do that for you mm -hmm. 
I totally agree with that. And then asking, um, seek out a mentor and a coach, right? Just, um, and I wish when I, when I first started that I had a mentor because it was the lessons, um, I had some hard lessons learned, I, but I've learned so much that I share now the pitfalls. Don't You don't want to do this? You des- definitely don't want to do this. But seek out a mentor um, and a coach to help you get through those things. Um, and there's so many resources out there, um, and you just have to be dedicated to following up and attending and going. And I remember when I started my business, I was in Denver every day in for a class. Every day, every time something came up, I know. So you're saying, when does she do business? It was in the evening because I had to go to those classes during the day to get the knowledge, to meet the people um, and to find mentors and those that encouraged me. Right. And so I would encourage people, uh, new women that are thinking about getting into this industry, find a mentor or coach or both um, and then attend those classes. You'll have to give up a lot to in the beginning, but it's worth it in the end when you can sit back and look and say, I had something to do with this. I impacted my community. I provided jobs for people um, and things of that nature. I sent some kids to school, right? I helped in my community with your organization that you're with, with mentoring. So I, I think um, all of those things just are so uh, important for new entrepreneurs to do. Now, Barbara, in your business, B&M Construction, is there, can you share that maybe your ideal client and what's the pain they're having where you're the perfect fit for them? Uh, my ideal client is one that communicates very well. As I'm a good communicator, I want an ideal client to be a communicator, a good communicator. Even when I have pitfalls and I'm doing something wrong, I want them to be able to come and say, um, you need to fix this. Um, their pain points and what makes me the best contractor for them is me being a, a good listener and not saying that I can do everything, but I have resources to help them be successful. So clients, your clients want to be successful. And so I, my goal is to help them, help make them successful, whether it is a quirky project that no one understands, because I've had them where they they didn't even understand the project. I didn't understand the project, but I brought in the experts to help solve the problem. And so I want to be that problem solver for them. I want to hear their ups and downs, right? And what makes them frustrated with other contractors. Um, I don't want to be that contractor to that talks about another contractor. I, that's not the topic of discussion with me, but I want to I wanna hear out the client to see how I can be a good fit for them and help them be successful. Um, because when I look at my clients, they're working for someone else. They have a boss that they have to report to. And so if helping them solve their problems, that's that's what um, I aim to do. And so 
I think me being a good listener as a contractor, but them being a good communicator is a, that's the ideal contractor for, I mean, client for me. Now, if somebody wants to learn more, is there a website or what's the best way of getting a hold of you to have more substantial conversation about the work? Um, they can contact me at bmyrick, B-M-Y-R-I-C-K at bmc hyphen lowercase i dot com. Or they can reach me on my cell phone, 719-205-4795. And if I don't answer, please do leave a message because I do return calls. Thank you. Uh, Jenny, what's uh, your ideal client and how do you help, you know, what are they looking for? What problem are they looking to solve when they work with you? My ideal client is similar to Barbara is somebody that communicates with me and tells me what their need is so that I can address that need. I too appreciate um, honest feedback and I want to be able to give honest feedback and not have them think that I'm being difficult. I want to have honest conversations about what's your schedule isn't working. And I love now in the technology world that we live in that a lot of my contractors have their schedules. Everything is web-based. So there's no, you know, it's ready, come out now. And you come out now to put mirrors in a house that hasn't even been sheetrocked. And that, and that's happened before. Those things happen in construction all the time. It's not a perfect industry. Things are never ready when, when you think that they're going to be ready, but having on, on, um, online scheduling is is very helpful. And then if it's not working, being able to sit down and say, whoever's doing your scheduling is not helping you because now you're, we've got dry runs and we're going to have to start back charging. You're telling us things are ready when they're not. Having those conversations are, are very impactful to a long-term relationship. Um, and instead of being looked at as a subcontractor, I prefer the name as a trade partner because it makes everyone feel that they are on the same playing ground and that a contractor doesn't get to always be the boss. And I get to tell them what my pricing is and they get to choose it or not choose it. And But I run my business and I want the respect that from them that they know that I know what my numbers need to be in order for me to stay in business and that they respect that and that they it's a good price and that I give the best customer service possible for what I do and that they they want that relationship they want that really good customer service they might be able to pay a little bit less somewhere else down the road but they will never get the customer service from anyone that they will get from me. And that's why I have 30 plus year relationships Mm -hmm. with most of my builders is because they know that anytime they pick up, anytime they call me, I will always answer the phone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if somebody else can solve the problem. If they want to talk to me, then I know that they want to talk to me. They're calling me for a reason. They could call you know, 50 other people in my company. So having just an honest, open relationship for me is the perfect client. And is there a website or a best way to get a hold of you if somebody wants to learn more? Yes, tannerglass.com is our website. And um, I can be reached at 801-859-4710. 
Thank you both. Uh, Pamela, what a show. Pamela, she can't even talk. She's so. Uh... <laughs> I was so I was so engrossed in the conversation, but uh, no, it was a great show. Thank you both for for sharing uh, your success, your hardships with us today. Uh, lots of great information. I loved uh, the thought of instead of being a prime, being a trade partner. It sounds so much more personable. So I might steal that from you. And then um, I just learned a, a lot. So thank you both. All right. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you both for participating. You're both doing such important work, and we appreciate you. This is Lee Cantor for Dr. Pamela Williamson. We'll see you all next time on Women in Motion.